Hey, it's uh, Sam Sleet, the Hippie Dippy Weather Man with the <laughs> Hippie Dippy Weather. Welcome to BitFaced. We did an episode last year where I had a couple beverages and I was pressed to say what my favorite episode that we did in 2015 was. And it didn't take me that long to come up with my answer. The episode was the pros from Dover. When I had my dad in town, who I played my first video games with, was here. Well, he's back, uh, coming to visit for the summer, and we convinced him yet again to come back to, to join us in the BitCave. To my right, as always, Tyler Run TRG Glaze. Across the table from me, um, my dad, the guy that uh, I could run through the list, but probably has taken me to more movies than anyone. And I'll open with a story about movies today, and I'll close with a story about movies today. Uh, When I was a kid, it was probably first or second grade, I got the dreaded call over the intercom to come to the office. Never wanted to do that, and I was honestly, up until my later years, I was a pretty good kid. So I showed up at the office, and Heather, of course was already there, Heather being my sister, forever beating me in everything, even to the principal's office that day. And dad was there. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm pulling you guys out of school. Didn't really say anything to the administration or whatever. And we got in the car. And I found out as soon as we got in the car where we were going was to see episode four in a theater. Now, I was born in 1976. Episode four came out in 77. So I probably did see it in the theater, but didn't remember it. So, um, again, the guy that pulled me out of school to see Star Wars is here to talk movies with us today. So, welcome to the BitCave, Dad. Pleasure to have you. Hey, thank you very much for having me here again. And if you're going to pull somebody out of school, Star Wars would be the reason to take them out of school, that's for sure. And I truly truly appreciated that. But, I mean, if I look even around the posters in my house, Back to the Future, The Goonies... um, so many Indiana Jones, all of those movies are, are movies that you took me to. And yesterday we went and saw X Men together, which was also a lot of fun. So yeah, movies have always been you know a part of my life, and, and have certainly made those a part of you know each one of you of the kids. You know, as far as getting you involved, it's such an an, an amazing media to introduce people to. And you know, I recall as a kid, you know, going to the movies on a Saturday morning. It was twenty five cents. You got to see. Two cartoons, uh, like a newsreel short, and then a movie. Maybe, you know, back then they were like 90 minutes. They weren't very long, maybe 60 to 90 minutes. Plus you got popcorn and a soda for a quarter. So I've gone to the movies my entire life. I mean, and, and this movie theater was like a block from where I lived when I grew up as a little kid. So I, my parents would, you know, that was a time when you could, you know, your kids could walk to the movies. There would be about five or six of us. We'd walk down to the movies. We'd spend the morning there from 9 to to noon or so, and then back home again, and just, I mean, and, and of course then it was westerns. That was the big genre back in the 50s was westerns, and it's sad because some aspects of those have been, you know, that's been lost, although I think a lot of the newer movies out now really have the western themes. Good guy, bad guy, the guy in the white hat, the guy in the black hat. I mean, what that's what Star Wars is. Dark side, I mean, it, it truly is, and, and that that concept of westerns i think has permeated you know even to this you know 2016 a lot of uh, critics and i guess industry people are saying the superhero movie is now our western and that eventually that's going to go by the wayside as well i don't know if i necessarily agree with that because you can correct me if i'm wrong weren't westerns primarily made back then due to cost because all you needed is a ranch and a horse and and someone in a cowboy outfit right there was very little cost to produce these things with regard to sets and that type of thing and they would do them you know right in the mountains i mean they would build a little front you know wooden platform thing with no back to it it would just be the entryway for it they would do the inside shots in the studio and there was nothing to it in fact you know we took you to the the bonanza set in in uh in Nevada, uh, in Carson City, that Carson City area there, and it, it, the house was there, and on TV it looked great. It was a front. I mean, there was nothing to it. Uh, and so you're right. It was very inexpensive to make those movies. And you don't really see a lot of Westerns anymore, but I would agree to the to the point that 
yeah, the, the market is oversaturated with superhero movies. Not that they haven't all been pretty good, but there comes a point where society as a whole isn't going to want that genre anymore, correct? I don't know. I think maybe the superhero concept might not be there, but the good guy versus bad guy is always going to be there. People want to see the good guy win and the bad guy lose. And that's what these movies are all based upon as you as you look at them, as you look at them for the past, you know, 100 years or so. There's always the, you know, the, the protagonist, there's always the and and this is what this is what happens and people enjoy that. They want to cheer for the good guy. Nowadays kids are somewhat cynical. I think they cheer for the bad guy as well, but that's part of it. It's part of the enjoyment of it. That's part of the escape of it. And do you think that cynicism, cynicism is what led us to, I mean, Deadpool is the highest grossing R-rated movie, movie of all time. Not superhero movie of all time, movie of all time. Do you think maybe, um, I don't know, younger generations, my generation included, is were jaded now? I think what has happened is is... As the generations have come up, they get exposed to things so much earlier than we did. You have things at your fingertips instantaneously where we had to wait for them. And so I think there is a sense of jadedness that occurs just because you're exposed to it almost 24-7. Uh, I mean, sure, we grew up with, you know, Wile E. Coyote and, and, you know, getting the crap kicked out of him by the Roadrunner with Acme, you know, safes and Acme anvils and this type of thing. But we never saw that as violence. It was, it was you know, a joyful cartoon. Three Stooges even. Hitting a guy in the hammer is not a really good thing, if you think about it. But they did it all the time, poking guys in the eyes with two fingers. But that was not seen as violence back then. That was seen as, you know, slapstick kind of comedy. And you're right. I think the jadedness has occurred. I'm not so sure that's a bad thing because the world is, you know, you've got to be a little bit tougher in this world than you, than you had to be, you know, 50 years ago. And, uh, and I think at some levels it does prepare kids. As long as it's, you know, I would say it would have to be under some kind of control. Obviously, you don't want to take a, a two- or three-year-old, you know, to see, you know, some of these movies. Uh, but for the most part, kids can see them. I mean, it's available to them. You hear that, Tyler? <laughs> I hear it, but uh, I mean, it depends. Obviously, not Deadpool. How- no, and, and some judgment, Tyler. I, and, and I think you would exercise that judgment. But you know, you're not going to take him to see. Uh, oh, I know. Even The Godfather is kind of rough in some places, so I'm not sure I would take a child to see that. I don't know if a child would be interested in The no. Godfather. Don't you, that's kind of a movie for for when you're a little older. It's got such a subtext of of, of story going on that they wouldn't be able to keep track of it. So, do you think? Um, movies have gotten better or are we just watching rehashed things and and granted cinema is a young industry been around what a hundred years maybe if if even that are we just taking things from your youth and even before your youth and do we have the same seven stories do we have the same nine characters to a certain extent i would say yes i i think it's being told over and over again i mean just look at and I realize it's, it's, it's all about money. So sequels happen because of money. You know, Rocky 92 will be around because of money. If they can prop Sylvester Stallone up to do it, they'll do it. Because people will still go to see him, even though he really can't act at all. And, and that's what's happened, I think, is, is there's been... The, the industry's been flooded so much because the need is there to make these movies. You know, they were making movies in the old days in four and six weeks. You know, Lucas made... Uh, American Graffiti in a month. He did it in four weeks at night. That's unheard of. Yeah, that that would happen now with maybe an indie production, but anything coming out of Hollywood, no. They're I mean they're making movies now that are coming out in two years from now, three years from now. Uh, and I guess on that same note, do you think the fact that everything can really be number one cleaned up in post number two done on a computer is that making filmmakers lazier because back when you had to use practical effects the car had to flip over the the, you know the action scene had to happen harrison ford the stunt double had to swing across that chasm none of that is done practically anymore or i should say rarely I would agree with you, and I think the the purity of the of the movie industry has changed as a result of that. I think the quality of the the movies that we see are obviously better, but I'm not sure that the acting is better. And if you take it down to the individual person, that actor, that actress that's that's in that in that set doing that particular part, 
they don't have to stretch it as much because everything can be done, you know, with CG. Although I think it's harder for them sometimes because they are interacting with a blank screen and they don't get to see the results. In fact, a lot of them never see what that what the final product a lot of actors don't go to their movies and they never see what the final product looks like some of them do it religiously they will go just to see how the audience reacts a lot of them don't they have no way of knowing and 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 by the time they finish acting in a movie it might be a year and a half or two years later that the movie even comes out because of all the post-production work that has to be done on it yeah and I, i heard that a lot about the star wars prequels that one of the arguments made is watch Hayden Christensen in any other movie, and he's a passable actor. In that, he's wooden and terrible. And I think exactly to your point, when you have to act towards a screen or, hey, there's a giant beast over there that you're looking at, but you can't actually see it. And, and I'm not saying we need to go back to the Ray Harryhausen days of stop-motion animation creatures, but it's, it has to make it difficult for an actor that is acting against nothing. I I acted for a little while, and I think a lot of performance comes from the energy you get from the other person. They dictate how you play the character, and I I think a lot of that is lost. I like practical effects. I will always be more appreciative of a practical effect than I am a CGI effect, but I can also understand that if it's rainy that day, and that's the only day you had to shoot, well, yeah, you might want to edit in some sunshine. You might want to make the shot look a little bit different. So I know that there's a lot that goes into it. I still think we're getting good movies. I just, and maybe this was the case when you were a kid too. It, there's just, there's nine expensive films that come out every year, and then there's some indie stuff. But the nine expensive films that come out every year, and nothing against the genre, I love it, are either superhero flicks or sequels. Yeah, and, and again, the movie industry is there to make money. And and so much of what we have seen, and I think in the quality of work, not just in the movie industry, but in other industries, is the money factor. And as long as money always drives everything, you're going to lose quality because they're going to cut corners. They're going to do what they have to do to make the profit higher and the cost lower. And that's what's going to happen. And when that happens, you and I as the consumer are the ones that pay for that. We pay for it by buying the ticket, but we also pay for it in the fact that we are passively sitting there being entertained and the hope that we're going to be entertained based on the amount of money that we spent. I mean, we paid $7 at the movie yesterday. I told you, you know, 50 years ago it was a quarter. That's quite a bit of difference. And I realize it's 2016, but has the quality gone up that much? Yes, it definitely has, the, 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 the way that they can do things. Has the acting gone up that much? I'm not so sure. I mean, there's some really good actors out there. Don't, don't get me wrong. But I agree with you. And they're all from Britain. That's right. <laughs> True. But I agree with you. I mean, I've, I've acted on stage with you know, live, live theater for oh, a, a lot of years. And it's so much different when you are interacting with a person. Because, number one, and it's live, too. Number one, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, I remember being in a play one time, and I was with an elderly lady. It, it was uh, Arsenic and Old Lace, and I played the nephew. And they were murdering these, these guys. And every night, I would never know what was going to come out of her mouth. And I had to ad-lib almost every single night just to keep it going down the same vein where we needed to be. Because I knew where we needed to be. So how we got there was somewhat you know, roundabout. We did get there, but not with any help from her. And I think that makes better films. I've heard a lot of uh, Ant-Man, for example, which you haven't watched, but you will, that a lot of the dialogue that ended up in the final movie were lines that Paul Rudd improved on the day. He'd do five or six takes, and they'd pick whatever, you know, they'd do the scripted take, they'd do, you know, what the director wanted, but then he was allowed to go. And I think I think that's made comedy better. And I think the fact that we're not cutting on film anymore has made it easier to edit things like that in. Uh, the editor's job, God, I would never want to do that. Cut reels and, and things like that together and then watch them and then see if... Movie making, I think, has gotten – it's gotten more costly, but I think it's gotten easier to do. Do you know how many hours of tape they have of Robin Williams as the genie in Aladdin of his ad libs? Oh, like how many hours? Hours. Several hours just of ad libs that he was just doing off the top of his head. You're right. An editor's got to go through, and with the director standing behind him or wherever he stands or sits, picking the one that they think is the best one – that's work, man. Those those are the people I think have really made the 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 uh, the profession 
the quality that it is. Those guys that do the editing, that, that do the sound mixing, that do, they've got a tougher job. I think than the actors do. I really do at some levels. Uh, the you know the other thing yesterday, what was there? Fifteen minutes of closing credits of that movie? Oh, uh, minimally. <laughs> you know, you can watch one now, and it takes forty-five seconds because there's not eighteen thousand people who are moving the things or put the people in the costume or move the little. I'm, none of those people were there. They right. used to have the, they used to have the scenery on rollers, and they would just roll it behind. The camera would stay stationary, but the scenery would move. It doesn't happen anymore. And and I think a lot of that movie, at least X-Men that we saw yesterday, was shot in a studio. Oh, yeah. They, they don't have to go outside anymore. There's no. no reason to. Or they can just create outside, inside. Although they did go. I mean, they did go on set for, for Star Wars to get those desert scenes and that type of thing. I mean, they were out there in 100-degree temperature. And, you know, when they did the Indiana Jones movies, I mean, you know, those people were getting heat stroke and, and everything else when they were in Morocco or wherever they were. So they still have to do it at some level. But, you know, even The Martian was filmed in a studio. It wasn't, they weren't, you know, they you didn't, they go, didn't out, go to Mars. They didn't go to Sedona, you know, to film it, you know, or up here in, you know, here in the Colorado mountains to film it. It was done in a studio because they can create that. They can create anything. So do you think that, that we're getting maybe still as many quality films a year as we used to get? Because there's always going to be crap. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I think it's. I would probably be being generous if I would say it's the really good stuff is maybe 20%. I'm probably being generous because there's so many stuff out there that I and, – and again, you and I have different opinions. Movies that you like and movies that, you know, the title I say, yeah, they're, they're different. I mean, I would say this was really a great movie. You say, well, you know, it's okay. And, and that's always going to be true. But if we were to look at it, you know, globally, I'd say 20%. Well, I think that kind of adds a little bit to the uh... – to Eric's question earlier, if we think a lot of the stuff's just being rehashed and stories retold, I think most people find the same movies to be entertaining. And so there's a lot of people trying to put out different movies, but they can't get high-paid actors and actresses, and so they get overlooked. And so we're going to get a lot of the repeated media. And the other thing is, I think the point you make is good. I think there's a comfort factor, too. People don't like surprises. I mean, they don't like them in life. They don't like them in their movies. They don't like them in their music. They wanted there to be some consistency. And knowing that they can go to a movie and see that without going, what in the heck happened there? I, I don't think most people like that. I don't think people like that either. And when I was learning about cinema, and once you kind of get to take a peek behind the curtain, which I know you've done, you don't watch movies the same as you did when you were a kid. As soon as and my cinema professor, even the first thing he said in class was, if you don't want any of this magic spoiled, get up and walk out right now. Because as soon as we get into this and you start learning, oh... Well, of course that character is going to come back in the third act and do this. Oh, they would never show that if it didn't have to pay off later. Especially from the screenwriting perspective, it's not often that I don't know exactly what's going to happen. And it's definitely not often that I'm fooled. I kind of have to find the magic in cinema now in the good performances, which, you know, they're, they're, I wouldn't say few and far between. I, th- I still think there's some good actors out there. But that's where I have to find the magic at now. The magic is definitely not in the storytelling for me anymore because I think almost to a point every story has been done and probably had been when you were a kid, right? Yeah, I don't know if all of them have been done, but but the the concept have been done, and I and I agree with you. I think the other thing is is there are still, like you said, there are some really good actors. There are, you know, I remember taking you to see Finding Neverland and having you applaud at the end of that movie. Well, it wasn't because of special effects. It was because of the acting. It was because of the story. And that's what I like to see in a movie. Anybody can do CG stuff. And the studios, you know, do it all the time. I want to see an actor, and I want to be convinced when I walk out of that theater that this actually could have happened. Uh, And I'm the same way. I'm kind of a cynic, too. I mean, I look for things. I'll say to your mom, They didn't have that car then. You know, they didn't do this. Why was the glass full now when he had just drank half his beer and the scene hasn't changed? I said, so that's, see, that's bad editing. That's bad. Continuity errors. Oh, yeah, see, those drive me nuts. And I pick up those all the time. And, uh, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, watching the old Godzilla movies and seeing the zipper going up the back of the costume. I mean, you know, it's just really sad. Nowadays, they're a little bit better, but it still happens. I mean, you'll still see, you know, in, in, in the, 
the original E.T., not E.T., uh, Jurassic Park, when the kids are in the, the, the dining room or the kitchen with the raptors, you can see the director, whoever it is, move the camera or something out of the way behind the little girl's head when they're calling. I mean, really? How can they miss those things? That's, that one was uh, disappointing to me because it was Spielberg. And Spielberg's not supposed to. I'm not. Everyone's human. But honestly, if you sat anyone in this country down, no matter what. Well, I, I wouldn't say no matter what age. I'd say probably 20 years old and older. And ask them who the five best directors are. I think he probably makes everybody's list. I would agree. I think. I mean, he's brilliant. I mean, and, and and he's gone into different stories, which you have to admire him for that. A lot of the directors keep with the same, you know, concept. If he was still Steve. making Indiana Jones, or he he was still making Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jaws, alternating between every other movie, we wouldn't have the same opinion. But when the same guy that makes those movies also turns out something like Schindler's List or Saving Private Ryan, you have to you have to respect that. And Spielberg isn't infallible and Spielberg has had movies I have not enjoyed as much now I haven't seen what's the most recent one Bridge of Spies yes did you see that I have not seen that okay no, it, I haven't it was seen kind it of in the theaters and out very very quickly it and came I- out at a time when there was a lot of other stuff dropping and I didn't see that but I would say you know mostly when you look at Spielberg he's he's pretty much on the top of the heap now I, I saw the same thing online when I saw the mistake in Jurassic Park I saw that when the scarecrow picks up Dorothy she's not wearing the red shoes she's got black shoes on I mean I don't I try to not look for that stuff but it's hard Uh, I was watching Super Troopers the other day and when the the RV is rocking back and forth you can see feet on the other side underneath it rocking it and I'm like I wish I wouldn't have seen that like I wish it because it takes you completely out of the movie in my opinion and I'm not sure I ever told you this I probably did but even in the opening credits of MASH they didn't use those helicopters in the Korean War the Korean War (laughs) Well, I hate to, you know, I'm sorry, but they MASH really lasted as a show four times as long as the regular war did. <laughs> so. It lasted four times as most shows last, actually. <laughs> Today's standards, oh, yeah. is, was MASH 11 seasons? 11 seasons. That's a, that's a long time. That's and long 11 time. good seasons. Oh, and that's the thing is that they, they and, and I know we're getting into television, but I think the same thing happens in movies is sometimes you've got to know when to stop. And you know, and that's where I get frustrated with people like Stallone and this type of thing. Really, come on, Sylvester, you've told the story. Now, I, I texted you about this. I don't think you've seen it yet. Creed is actually really good. Yeah, you and I talked about that, and you said it was. And I, w- I w- I'm hesitant to go just because of. You haven't liked Stallone though since I've been a kid. I don't think he, he, he's never been your no, your cup I, of tea. I just don't think he acts very well. I mean, anybody can kind of. Well, yeah, Adrian. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I can do that. He's got a good story though. The story, I agree with you. The stories are usually really good. Well, and, I know his his personal story. I mean, oh. he sold his dog to get the money to pay to write Rocky, and but, that ended up being Best Picture. I mean, that's a pretty good story. Oh yeah, and 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 but the stories he tells are good too because he tells the underdog story. He tells the story about the guy who comes back. From you know whatever kind of terrible thing that's happened in their life, and and they overcome it, and that's a good message for people to hear. I w- you know I like that kind of message. No, that's true. Rocky and Rambo are both very similar characters in the fact that they go through some things and they they triumph in the end. Uh, I guess Rambo a lot more uh, action oriented, and Rocky a little more grounded in realism. But but the similar kind of story. Did you like? Um, we didn't see any of these together, but did you like the Expendables movies? I don't think I saw any of the Expendables movies. I'm shocked you haven't seen at least one of them. That surprises I me. I don't think I have. I would recommend watching the the second one. I think you would enjoy that. Um, but uh, I probably saw Paul Blart Mall Cop. No, I didn't. I would never have seen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, one. Erase movie... that, Tyler. I don't want anybody to know I even said those words. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's almost a running joke. Uh, in the bit cave is Paul Blart Mall Cop. Oh, Come on, it's gosh. been mentioned on. I've never seen it either. No. Uh, my thing was, I can't believe that Broken Lizard is begging for money to get Super Troopers two funded, and Paul Blart's had a sequel already made. And they're both silly police movies, uh, but I would, I think Broken Lizard just has a little bit better brand of comedy, in my opinion, than Kevin James. Nothing against Kevin James. And I've heard I need to see Pixels there, uh, even though it, it looks absolutely. Did you see it? No, I haven't seen it. But everyone who I would go to to recommend that style of movie, a video game movie, has said it's awful. I don't think they've ever made a good video game movie or a movie based on a video game. No, because even Tron was terrible. 
both of them. Uh oh, Tyler wants you to. You guys weigh really in here. don't like Tron. I thought the again. I thought the story in the original because I saw the original one when it came out, and the story was actually pretty. And actually, the the graphics and all were pretty good too. But the overall, the way it was told, I think it could have been told better. Yeah, I, I guess that's true. I think there's maybe there's just some feeling of wonder. Like I wish, like I was sucked into a video game and had to. So I I don't know. I get that kind of attachment to it. And uh, and they had a lot of other cartoon shows that were similar. Um, I can't think. Like uh, what was it? Re- reboot. Re- I've never heard of it. Oh, it was a little car- kids' cartoon. But of course, I'm the youngest one in the cave right now. And uh, <laughs> and so. Um, you know, it just kind of, maybe it was just my personal experiences and something I wanted, and that's why I liked the movies a lot better. And I think that was, Tron was one of the first ones that put a person going into a video game, wasn't it? They've done several Tron since was, um They've done several since. Tron was pre The Last Starfighter, correct? Yes. That's the other one that comes to mind yes. for me, that kind of era of time, even though The Last Starfighter wasn't based on, and Tron wasn't either. The video game of Tron was based on the movie, correct? The movie Tron wasn't based on the video game. The video game came second. No, the video game was first, I believe. Are you sure? I'm, I think it was, too, actually. I think, I think it was a property, Disney's property, and I think they made a game based off it later. Well, as always, every week here at BitFace, we're going to have to look something up. But uh, I, I, I'm going to argue, my argument is, is that the, uh, the movie was first, video game second. I think the movie was, uh, was late 70s, and the video game was early 80s. And they had multiple, they had the main video game, but they also had the light cycle game that came out on in television as well as the Atari 2600. Yeah, that could be. I could say that that was the first movie I, I recall where the, a person becomes part of the video game uh, in, in, a, in a movie. That's. Did you see the sequel or the one that came out a, no. a couple years ago? No, it's like four or five years ago? No. Don't, don't waste your time. Thank you. Um, there is movie though I know all three of us have seen both of because I sent them to you for Father's Day. Let's talk a little bit about the raid and the raid two since we 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 talked we talked briefly on the phone about them. I don't think you liked them as much as I thought you would like them. But the reason why when we saw them, uh, I showed Tyler the raid after we first became friends and he fell in love with it. Him and I went and saw the second one in the theater. I thought you would like it because you always took me to a lot of action movies when I was a kid, and I think that takes the action movie genre and completely ratchets, ratchets it up to the next level. Yeah, and I would agree because and it's all it's done on a one-on-one kind of basis. Even though there's more than one guy being beat up at, at one time, it is more of a one-on-one thing. The thing that frustrates me about it is is they are no better at dubbing in voices as they were back in the 1930s. It's still the same. The dialogue goes that on. That was my mistake, and, though. And the, I, I told you to watch the second one with I know, subtitles. I know, but I still watch a movie that way. And when you watch the voice continue to go on and the mouth has stopped moving or vice versa, I'm thinking... We we were doing this in the 30s. Certainly, if we can do everything else, we can coordinate, you know, voice to to lips better. And they don't. No, you're you're right. And I hope you watch the second raid with subtitles. I, that, I based on your recommendation, I did, and I did enjoy it more. Uh, when when there's subtitles up there, it is slightly distracting, and and that's why I don't like to watch uh, when you have uh, the. The sub or the uh, the text going across the bottom, you know that they do like in in bars sometimes to keep the volume down. That because I tend to focus on that and not on the on the picture itself. And I do the same I, thing. I find it distracting. But did you uh, did you like at least the action sequences? Oh, the, the 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 coordination of the fight scenes is absolutely incredible. I mean, uh, and and I know how much work's involved in doing that. I mean, just to throw one or two punches takes a great deal of skill on the part of the actors and the, and the stunt doubles. And this was flawless. I mean, it it it's amazing. I I would agree with you. I'm the story's you a little it. weak, but you know. <laughs> it's yeah, no, and the and especially in the first raid. The, it's a video game. It's let's get up 30 floors and fight the final boss. I mean, exactly. that, that was basically what the story was. I kept waiting for Mario to show up in that and, you know, be ran, and a guy throw a barrel at him. Maybe he did throw a barrel. I don't remember. They threw things at each other. They but. did throw a lot of things at each other. <laughs> I thought the second movie, though, took everything they did in the first one and really brought it to a broader, more like the departed genre, if you will. Now, there was still a lot of over the top action and violence. I'm looking forward to seeing the inevitable part three that we're going to get, which I hope they're working on right now. Yep, they are. That's definitely been confirmed. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what the uh, 
how the how it compares to the first two because I like the second one better than the first. There's we, no question. We both do too. Yeah, like we that. thought that they really it, um, the highway car chase fight is one of the most amazing things. And then when I watched the making of how they actually did it, where a couple of those seats in the cars are actually people and they're passing the camera between the cars. That's how you get that seamless shot on the highway nice. that goes through the window. And when I watched it in the theater the first time, I was like, well, how did they do that? Like, how did they get the camera to go like that? That's how they did it. There's a guy sitting there disguised as the as the chair. Did they? And, and the other thing is, is the uh, the car the car sequence in there. It, those two movies were almost made right back to back, or at least crossover, weren't they? Weren't they really close to each other? They were pretty two years apart. Okay, they were so, pretty close. So, so not as close as I thought. Uh, no, they, they they were pretty close, but um, both did get theatrical releases. I was actually turned on to the raid by David Frizzell, who's been on the podcast. Love that though. I I thought it was right up your alley though. Um, no, no, I I had a great deal of appreciation for the the sequence and it goes on the fight scenes because that that to me is always a challenge because that's tough to do. And and when they're using real people, obviously, you know, when they're not using you know computer generated people, and those were real people doing it, and and you can see, I mean, you can watch it. Plus the the camera angles were incredible in that movie. I mean, just the the way the director looked and said, okay, let's shoot it from this from this angle, let's shoot it from this angle, let's let's do a reverse angle and go back through a mirror or something like that. It's like wow, he's he's pretty talented. I'm honestly I'm looking forward to the Raid Three. I'm looking forward to see what else. I think it's Gareth Evans. Yeah, Gareth Evans. He. Uh- also did what the VHS movie, the yeah. horror movie, or at least one of the stories. He did one of the sequences. Yeah. In it. So I I don't know what else he's doing, honestly, um, or what else he's done besides that sequence. And and Tyler, uh, you have Dad to blame too. He's the reason why I like sci-fi better than I like medieval stuff because I was raised with he he let me watch Blade Runner when I was in second grade. Yeah. I, I mean, what do you mean to blame? I'm just saying I'm, everyone I'm always... Uh, no, but you're, you've been over here when I've been... I get a lot of criticism because I don't watch Game of Thrones, because I don't like Lord of the Rings, because I don't get into any of that stuff. Now, that, you're who my love of sci-fi comes from. I would much rather watch somebody in space in the future with future gadgets than watch something that is supposed to be in the past. Yeah, and I come out of... Again, I come out of that the whole Star Trek thing, and when I saw Star Trek, the first movie, which was horrible... Uh, I've still only seen it one time when I moved here. I've seen it once as well, and that was in the movie theater. But that first sequence when the Enterprise shows up—I mean, to somebody who watched Star Trek as a as a you know as a person in his late teens, early twenties—and then to see the the Enterprise on a big screen was like, wow. I'm sorry, the story just kind of was you know fell apart after that. But that was that was really incredible to me. And that was back to when you that wouldn't come out in February, and you'd have a copy of the DVD mid March. No, you wouldn't have a copy of the DVD for years. Or the VHS and, no. and yeah, there VHS was tapes were 120 bucks when they first came out. Correct. If you wanted to own a movie, it was expensive. Very right? expensive. Yeah, it, was, it cost you forty dollars to to buy a VHS movie, fifty dollars, which back then was a lot of money. Plus, like you said, it would be it might be twelve months before it came out or longer. Now they come out the following week that the movie's released. I'd say within a month, month and a half uh, normally. And we're getting to the point now where some movies, and I want to say the Crouching Tiger sequel launched in the theater down the street. And free on Netflix on the same day. Now, where do you think I'm going to be watching that movie? <laughs> and you even saw yesterday, and I don't know if this was, I think this was an X-Men thing. Twice. At the beginning of X-Men and at the end of X-Men, they thanked us for coming out to the movies. They had Storm, the actress that plays Storm. It's like, hey, hundreds of people worked on this thing. Thank you guys for coming out and sitting in your seats and seeing it. And at the end of the movie, there was also a message. Hey, Thanks for coming out to seeing this. A lot of people worked on this flick. Thanks for so. As much as I hate to say it, I still think the best way to watch a movie is in a dark theater with a large cherry coke and a popcorn right in front of you. There, I think it's dying. There's no yeah. There's no substitution for that. And and I think that's a good move that the actors and and the studios have made doing that because people can access these things like they never could before. They can get to them. And it takes a little bit more effort to go out to the movie. I'm getting like, oh, i got to get a car, i got to find a parking place. And it's expensive. I mean, because most people don't just go to the movie and buy a ticket. They buy popcorn. They buy soda. They buy, And that's where they make their money. They're not making money on the movies. The you movie said 75 cents to go when you were a kid? 25 cents. 25 cents. When I take Jake to a movie, 
I've never spent less than forty five dollars. Yeah, that I spend for I two spend, of us. Yeah, I spend like thirty. You know where I live. Of course, you know your mother doesn't eat like Jake does, so it's probably a lot cheaper. Like I do, uh, or, or like you do. Yeah, mm-hmm. you ate that whole thing of large popcorn yesterday, didn't I, you? I was hungry. <laughs> Normally, I split that with Jake, and you guys are welcome to help yourself, but it didn't seem like anybody else wanted any. So. Well, it was it was way over, like, two seats away from me, so I, there was no way I was going to be able to reach it anyway. If you would have asked, I would have been happy to pass it I to know. you. <laughs> I know. But no, that's that's tradition, though. Large cherry Coke, popcorn, film, good or bad. That's that's how I watch a movie. I do find myself, though, like, I was even talking to mom yesterday, I can, see, I can tell by a trailer whether I'm going to take the effort to go out or you know what? I'll wait a couple months, and normally I can see it for free, or I can pay to watch it here for five dollars. And I think that's why the actors are so appreciative because they know that as well. They know that that's what's going to happen, and it doesn't affect them per se because they're getting their. their I mean, they've their salaries have already been put in the bank and everything. But it's good to hear that they are appreciative of that, and I think it's a good marketing technique. That, you know that they've done. I think another area of movies that that you got to have. And, and and you and your sisters got to have when you were younger that's completely gone now are drive-in movies. That was an awesome way to see a movie when I was a kid. I mean, absolutely amazing. You'd go out there, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd play on the playground before the movie because you'd find a place to park where everybody could see. The, the cars would sit at a about a 70-degree you know, angle because they put bumps into the parking lot so the cars would be angled to look at the screen. You'd hang the speaker from it. You you know you'd find mice in your pizza you know they, they crawled into the concession stand I mean but what a way to see a movie you take blankets the, you know when I was a kid you know a lot of times we fell asleep uh, you know in the movie uh, that's a neat way to and those don't really exist anymore that didn't wasn't really prevalent when I was a kid either uh, now there's a drive through in Atlanta that's still really nice and works like that and you can bring in beer and and, and things. But no, even when I, mean, I remember going to the drive-through when I was a little kid, drive-in or drive-in. Drive sorry, not drive. Yeah, see, um, that's, that's a restaurant. Times I've been. Uh, hey, but uh, I don't. Please give me uh, a viewing of Deadpool and a side of popcorn, please. I'll watch it when I get home. <laughs> that's right. There that's you right. go. There you go. Um, but yeah, that wasn't even. That kind of went away. I think one of the reasons too is my generation. I guess at least Gen X. We don't want that speaker in the window. I want full <laughs> surround sound around me. I want a beautiful looking screen. I just, that's what I want. Well, so there's a couple, I think, here in Colorado. There's one, I think, up north and one in Pueblo. And instead of doing a speaker, you just tune your radio to it now. Yes, everything has gone to that where you can get it right through your speakers in your car and stereo. Yeah. But in the old days, it was a, and in wintertime, you would hook a heater to the other side because so you wouldn't have to have your car running they had electric heaters that you would put inside the car so you know the people could watch the movies even in winter wow yeah I, absolutely true uh the other thing is is you know when you know, movies are about emotion and feeling for me anyway that's how i mean i remember as a kid seeing a movie and it, it you know, I watched it on TV. It's not the same effect, obviously, when you're, you know, seven, as opposed. But House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price, classic, you know, black and white movie, scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Uh, and I'm thinking, what was I scared of? There's nothing really in this movie. The other one that I had nightmares about as a kid that I watched on TV, again, probably two months ago, was The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Harryhausen, right? Was that? was that Ray Harryhausen? No, no. It was okay. uh, Kenan Matthews. And Bing Crosby's wife plays the princess in it, one of the wives that he had. But the Cyclops, I had nightmares about the sound that it made. It, I was always going to walk on the house and crush me. I mean, I, that, that's what movies are supposed to do. You know? and, 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 and when I watch you know, horror movies nowadays, it's a completely thing. You know, Alfred Hitchcock, absolutely brilliant, and he never... You know, there's no there's no slice and dice. He told a story that no one has ever been able to tell like that. Maybe a few people, but Hitchcock was absolutely brilliant at the suspense and the the music. At, music, that's the other thing. You know, we can talk about that all day long. How important music is. If you ever you know watch a movie sometime at this key scenes without the music playing behind it, and how much different it is. Horror, uh, especially. Oh yeah, you have to. I've I've seen Halloween cut with no music, and it's. It's just not the same without the ding, 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 ding. It's just not, it's yeah. not what you want to see. You're what, not scared at all. What would Jaws be without, da-dum, da-dum. I mean. What would Spielberg be in general without John Williams? Yeah. 
yeah, and yeah, Williams. I mean, there's, and that's why he you know went on to do things like the Boston Pops and that type of thing because he's brilliant. He still is. He still. I. He just did a score for something. Well, obviously, he did episode seven. But he, he did something else, too, yeah. No, and music's very important part. Even, not necessarily movie music, but even soundtrack choices. When you watch something like Goodfellas, that soundtrack is almost as good as that movie. Daisy Confused is the same way. American Graffiti is very similar. They have... Sleepless in Seattle has some classic music, you know, that plays behind it that most people don't even recognize until you listen to it on a on a DVD, or not a DVD, a CD or something like that. You don't realize, oh, that was in the movie? I didn't even know it was there because the, it captures your emotion, but it doesn't actually capture itself in your memory, I think, music sometimes. And you go, yeah, that's where I heard that. And that's I think that's the secret of good music in a movie is you don't realize it. That, yeah, that it's there. Even Mom yesterday, we when we waited we to look up uh, one of the X-Men themes is actually Beethoven or Bach. Mom just wanted to see what it was because she recognized it. She said, that's, no, that's not X-Men music. She said, that's that definitely something else. Let's look and see. And sure enough, at the end, she said, that, that's what it is right there, Symphony Number no. 9 or whatever. So yeah. yeah, I turned to her and said that. I said, this is classic music that they're playing. They've just modified it. I said, I, fi- I find that with my students sometimes when I teach college, they'll say, oh, have you heard this new song? It's a brand new song. I said, no, it's not. This song was made in 1962. It's the same song. It's been redone. Oh, no, this is so-and-so's original. No, it's not. <laughs> That's a sad day, though, because it happened to me when you start – when you think something from your generation <laughs> is original, and oh no, that's no one hundred percent. That's what they came up with. No, really, no. That's uh, that's Billie Holiday in, in the Four Seasons, like, or that's somebody. There's a lot of songs too where Billie Holiday in the Four Seasons. Really, is that a that's was no, that a good reference? Billie Holiday is an individual. The Four Seasons is another, but they weren't ever they together. weren't ever together. No. Okay, um, twenty years difference. But a lot of covers. The versions that you hear on the radio are the more popular version, even if it was an original. Uh, and I think you run into that a lot. I mean, when, when Prince died, everyone knows Prince's stuff. But when you look at all the other stuff that he wrote, it's amazing to me that, oh, really? This is not – this wasn't written by them. This wasn't written by them. This wasn't written by them. It, it It's shocking to me. But I don't think that there's – music's another genre where the originality has kind of gone out the window – has pop music always just been crap? No, I'm not going to say it's been crap. I, the difference is, is I grew up in a generation where music was unbelievable. I mean, I grew up in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I mean, and I don't think that music's been touched in a while. Some aspects of it have. There's no question. But country and western music's no different today than it was when I was a kid. You know, it's Glenn Campbell. It's you know, it it's the same type of music. You know, rock music has changed. In some aspects, it's gotten better. In some aspects, it's gotten worse. I mean, guys could play, you know. Eric Clapton could play. Yeah, I mean, these guys could play. You know, Jimi Hendrix could play. I mean, and they did some cr- tremendous riffs in, in their songs. You don't, it's, it, a lot of that's even synthesized. It's kind of like the CG version in the music industry for me. Oh, that's, I mean, that's their auto-tune. They, they're starting to release um, bootlegs, of singers like Britney Spears, like Kelly Clarkston, without their auto-tune on, I could be doing it. That's how much goes into cleaning it up and making sure it sounds perfect. I don't think – I think there was some production value. I don't think that there's a lot of production value on as much or as much on a Led Zeppelin album as there is on a Justin Bieber album. (laughs) I don't really think you had to clean lead up too much. I think they showed up, they played their parts and that's what you hear on, on the albums. And no, I completely agree. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of what is CGI in movies. Everything has to sound perfect. There's an algorithm out there. And if it doesn't fit within that range, well, no, we can't release it. That's not what America wants. Oh, three minutes and 50 seconds. Try making it 347. That's, that's what they really want to hear. Well, and the other thing is, is, and again, we've kind of gotten off the subject with music, but I, I like listening even to records occasionally because even though it's not a cleaned up sound, it's a purer sound. I think it is anyway. You get the little hiss, you get the, but that's part of it. And maybe it's because of my age and that's what I grew up with, you know, with 45s. Those were records with big holes in the middle. And I know what a 45 okay. is. Maybe, maybe Tyler. <laughs> I know what a 45 is. Okay. You know I do. <laughs> yeah. Tyler's dad is, uh, I don't know what you call a record collector, but Tyler's dad's a record collector. 
You'd actually, you'd actually really like his collection. It's it's pretty chunky. But it's, it, I mean, you you hear the flaws, but it, the music is purer. Does that make sense? The the sound may have been cleaned up, but the the music is it's just purer music on a record, I think. But again, you know, I remember when they came up with Dolby. You know, and how and, and I thought, wow, where's the hiss? You know, the hiss is gone. Uh, and and again, like you said when you mentioned for the movies, I mean the speaker system. I mean you are. I mean the room is vibrating, the seats are vibrating. You know when you know it's like whoa. They even uh, I've we don't have it here yet. It's in California. Uh, have you heard of 4D, where your seat actually moves based on action in the movie? When Iceman, for example, shows up, or you're in a winter scene, the theater gets colder. It. Uh, Things fall from the ceiling when when certain well, things yeah, happen. Di- and Disney and, and Universal do that at their studios on their little brief Muppets thing, Muppet 4D, Shrek 4D, and that type of thing. Very brief. But if they're this doing is coming this, coming to the masses, though. that's that's yeah. I know what you're talking about. Think not like Captain EO, but you know, I know what you mean. Where it's it's interactive. This is going to be at your local theater. Uh, you know, the seat will move. It'll tilt certain certain ways, certain angles. That's that's kind of exciting to me. I think not that the movies need a gimmick. But they're going to have to do something to get butts back in seats. Because we could probably, Dad, not that we would ever do this, we could have probably had a pretty stellar copy of X-Men and just watched it at Heather's house yesterday. And it it came out Friday. Now, I don't prefer that. No, I would never do that. Uh, Like you said, there's nothing that compares to watching a movie on a big screen. I don't care what the movie is. I I go and watch old movies you know, that came out in the 30s, 40s, and 50s on the big screen. It's just completely different. I mean, movies that I would never have seen except on television because they don't show them in the movies. And and you were saying there's a movie theater that shows old movies here every so often. That's great. I think that's an awesome way to introduce people back to that different kind of quality of movie production that was done 50 years ago. I think that's a good thing because people need to see where the field has come from to where they are today. Kids nowadays think everything has always been this way. A lot of them have no clue that, you know, we used to have like black and white televisions. What I mean, see, but know, I don't, I have no, I know that that existed, but no, I have you, no concept of that world. No, we you, never had a black and white TV no, growing up in your house. No, so exactly. Because when color came out, I thought, this is awesome. I got to have color television. Yeah. Uh, well, even black and white movies. I mean, some, some kids today, young people, could not watch a black and white movie. The quality of the, of the movie is incredible uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're willing to forego being immersed in color. And I think that's what, what's happened with people is we've become so passive about things. We want everything given to us on a silver platter and not have to think too much about it. And that's, that's sad. I think that's sad. I want to walk out of that theater and go, Wow, you know, that was pretty impressive how they did that and how this happened. And, and I know that this had to be real rather than computer generated. And that makes it even more special to someone like me. I think the best movies are the movies that when you wake up the next morning, you're still thinking about them. I, I, that's one thing I will say is in common with a lot of the films that I love is, yeah, they make you think whether it's about an effect, whether it's about the plot, whether it's about how they could have done things differently, better or worse. Movies that I keep thinking about. It's movies that I walk out of and never remember again. I can't remember one scene. It's kind of like a, a, a mind eraser, if you will. There's there's entire movies where I, I'll watch them now and be like, oh, yeah, I did see this. And normally that's a movie that's been out in the last decade. I can still recite lines from the Goonies from memory. I can do the Karate Kid start to finish. It's, And I don't know if that's a generational thing as well. Do you still gravitate towards movies when you watched when you were that age? So I would say 6 to 12. A lot of those films, I couldn't drive, you took me to. Those are still some of my favorite films. Even Police Academy 4. <laughs> Adventures in Babysitting. Um, again, the Goonies. That's where you fell in love with Elizabeth Shue, I think. <laughs> Uh, that was Karate Kid. <laughs> okay. They were very no, – oh, God, they were very close. I made Tyler watch Adventures in Babysitting a couple of weeks back because he'd never seen it before. Classic movie. I think he enjoyed it. What did you think? I, it was very good. It was – I mean, it was funny in all the right places. And the the plot wasn't great, but it, I mean, it was, overall, it was just a blast to watch, so – yeah, and I don't think the plot was great either, but the subplots were incredible. That's that's the beauty of that movie is, is you got to go beyond what the main premise is and get to the underlying how it all depends on that one poor girl getting stuck in a bus station without her glasses. I mean, everything hinges on her, and most people don't most people don't even grasp that when they walk out of the theater because nothing else would have happened if that hadn't happened. 
Right, and her uh, and Chris Parker, of course, went to uh, went to go get her. I I love I love that movie. But do you think that you do you still? If I sat you down right now and said I want you to list your top ten favorite movies of all time, how many of those are from when you're a kid, or do you get more of an enjoyment watching maybe the movies with me? Are those like like your Star Wars, uh, like your indie? I think it would be a blend of those because I like, for example, I could watch Singing in the Rain you know, once a week and not get tired of it. And I know I can probably do every line from singing in the rain because the dancing in that is incredible. And they really did the dancing. You know, I mean, Gene Kelly did that. He did that in one take, that famous scene in the, in the rain. In the where rain. He's got that one take. And, and I think, you know, that one take, two take things, you know, movies many times go over budget and spend so much money because they keep trying to get it right and right and right. The one director who I think at some levels is underrated but who does things in one take or sometimes two is Clint Eastwood. And Clint Eastwood comes up with some of the most quality shots and actor's reaction of just about anybody in modern day. And I don't think he gets the, maybe he does, but I don't think he gets the appreciation for how good he is. I mean, I know he gets nominated for Academy Awards and that type of thing. Although I don't know that that's necessarily a measure of it because I think it's there's a political aspect to the Academy Awards to a certain extent. But Eastwood is incredible. And he all his movies come in under budget. The actors love him, you know, because he's not intrusive. He sits back and says, you're the actor. You're paid to do this. This is what the story is. You know what it is. Act. And they'll say, well, let's do another take. Nope. Move on. That's admirable because you could do 35 takes and still not be happy. There's always going to be something. Yeah. And, and, it's the, and it's the imperfection of it, I think, that makes the movie human. Yeah, Eastwood has. He, I think he's. I don't know if he's underrated. Uh, I think he's pretty rated. He's, I mean, he he gets he gets a lot of appreciation. He doesn't have many years left either. I would assume Clint Eastwood has to be ninety, right? Um, he's in his late seventies or eighties, I think. Yeah. When did um the the famous westerns, the Good, Bad, Raw- and the Ugly, Fistful oh. of Dollars? That's fifties, right? Yeah, but I rem- no, no, no. Is that sixties? Sixties, yeah. But Rawhide, which was the show he started out in, is Rowdy Yates. You know, the old TV show was like. 58, 59, 60, right? And then the Spaghetti Westerns, you know, and they were called that because they were all made in Italy. Uh, even though they used, they used people, that, they used Italians, but they were, they were supposed to be, you know, Mexicans. Uh, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, you know, all those different kinds of shows. That's what made Eastwood famous as an actor. But, but I agree. I think if you went out and asked people, name me five Clint Eastwood movies that he directed, they couldn't do it. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Gran Torino. <laughs> I didn't ask you to oh. do it. It wasn't a test. But I think most people... I don't know if I can name... I can name three right now off the top of my head. Mystic River, Gran Torino. Um, oh, God. What is the... Uh, I just had one. No, you're right. That's... Did he do um, American Sniper? Yes. Okay, there's three. What else has he directed? Did he do In the Line of Fire? Or no, that wasn't him. He was in that though. No, but he directed it as well. Did he? I got four. Yeah. Now, granted, I I know my movies pretty well, but well, he directed some of the Dirty Harry ones too. Uh, is that where he? Is that when he started? Is that when he made the transition? That's over? when he, and that's when he started to do uh, actor director combinations. Was was in the Dirty Harry? I don't think he directed the first Dirty Harry, but I think the three or four after that. Probably the Deadpool. Yeah, and that's one of those things that went too far. They could have gotten by with the first two, I think, and that they could have, you know, killed Dirty Harry off, and you know that had been fine. It got kind of hokey. A lot of that did, though. I mean, if you look at, um, and we could do a whole podcast, you and I, about this, where the action genre has gone since the '80s. When you go back to watch an '80s Chuck Norris or Charles Bronson, or even to an extent Clint Eastwood movie. That's gone now. They okay. don't make movies like that yeah. anymore, for better or for worse. And and Bronson again. Bronson was incredible. If you watch some of his movies, he was he was, those were unbelievable movies. And and Bronson, you know, he was he was a he was an under he underplayed his role so much he was good at it. And he just kind of came across as that mean sob that you would never want to cross. But he did it so coolly and so sweetly that you go yeah i'd like this guy living next door to me no you wouldn't you don't want him there not no bronson are you kidding me and and the variety of movies he was in even he stretched his character so much you know he didn't get caught into some of the same a lot of them were the same because he's got that look 
you know, Bronson's got that look that he, you know, even though he played an Indian in one movie, Shadow's Land or something like that, you know, where he was supposed to be. But they did that with a lot of, you know, Anglo actors. They made them Indians, you know. I mean, look what they did with James, with Sean Connery in You Only Live Twice. They, you know, they put things underneath his eyes to give him, you know, Asian eyes. I'm going, really? Come on, guys. You know, I, I watched that the other week and uh, not the other week, uh, probably a couple months ago when I was going through Bond. And I was in shock. How did that fly? I don't know. Back then, it, uh, it's something I've I've grown to appreciate too is black exploitation in some of those movies. How did they get made? That would never happen nowadays. Some of the some of the black exploitation films, and even then, I don't even think that there was. It wasn't about the black actors. It was oh, Jim Kelly is also an athlete. Get him in this kung fu movie. And you'd see your Sidney Poitiers and, and, and things doing, doing Bra- films. Bra- brilliant actor, by the way. Brilliant Unbelievable actor. actor. Uh, and he, he did some in that genre, too. But when I, when I sit down to watch some of those trailers, Hollywood has come a long way. In some ways, very good. In some ways, not as, as good. And I think the action movie genre, though, nowadays is completely different. It's all about spectacle now. I think it was more hate to say this about character in, in, in the eighties. You had to there was a little bit more motivation. It was a little bit more roadhouse, you know? I think you had to sell your role more too. You know, I I really do believe that. Um and the other thing I loot and I'm gonna tell the story because I'm not sure where we are time wise, but I'm not sure I get my story in because I know you said you had a story, but I've got to get mine in. Okay. I said it, you know, a while back in this uh podcast that emotion is an important part. You've got to feel the movie. If you're sitting in the movie You've got to feel it. And if you don't feel it, then the actors aren't doing their job and the director's not doing his job. But I remember being in a movie theater in uh, 1982 with a little five-and-a-half, six-year-old boy who came out of that movie, or during that movie, had tears rolling down his face when E.T. died. Yep. That's what movies are all about. That's getting a feeling, not only into an adult, because adults were doing the same thing. I was doing the same thing. But to reach across all those generations and all that age group and get the same kind of feeling of sadness, that's quality movies to me. That's what makes a great movie as opposed to a good movie. And that, that actually, that same year was the first time I ever saw you cry. We were also in a movie theater... But Spock had oh, died. Yeah. And I looked over at you, and I was sad, but I didn't grow up with Spock, and he wasn't a cute little guy that stole you know, Reese's Pieces. I was, I was five or six at the time. But when you saw your... And they didn't take the chintz way out and resurrect him five minutes later. You didn't know if he was coming back. Well, and Leonard Nimoy was very clear that he wasn't doing this role anymore, so I figured that was it. I mean, of course, he had said that three or four times, you know, before then. You know, he wrote a book, I Am Not Spock, then I, I Am, am Spock. Spock. And, you know, so who knows, you know, what he was, what was going on. But you're right. And and that was a set. You watched... That, Kirk, was, that, that was my young adult. Would you say Spock is your favorite Star Trek character, probably? Or is it Kirk? No, Spock was always my favorite. I, I like I the way he looked at situations. Because that's how I look at situations, yeah. As I've gotten older, he has slowly become my favorite thing about Star Trek. Now, young Eric, I was all about Kirk... Uh, in Kirk's decision making and I was all about the captain but now no and again you didn't have the internet when you left that theater Spock was dead now they do allude he's on the Genesis planet you see the torpedo everybody knows what Genesis means and all this type of thing yeah I, I understand that but 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 given that the person sitting across from me right now is the one that said all the Star Trek people got killed because the Enterprise crashed into the sun. I'm thinking, no, it didn't. What are you talking about? I was having some interpretation issues. <laughs> They're all dead, Dad. They all de- no, no, they didn't crash into the sun. What are you I, uh, I, that's kind of the. I, I don't know. I, I really wanted that. I really wanted Star Trek Six to be final. I wanted them to. I, I thought that's the last time. I was going to see those characters together. And honestly, it was. You got Kirk and Scotty and Chekhov were in Generations. And various people from the original series showed up on the Next Generation television show. Including Gene Roddenberry's wife, who was always... Yeah. 
um, yeah, Magil, Magil was definitely there. Magic but that Garrett, was the last time we got to see that crew to, to, together. And, I mean, the fact that that crew made it six movies and Next Generation couldn't even carry four. A lot of people argue that Next Generation was a better television show. I don't think it was. I still go back and watch the 60s Star Trek, and I think it's better. It's, it's what I want to see when I see sci-fi. As long as, you, again, the, the difference, I think, between the two shows is the acting in the original Star Trek is so much better. The special effects and everything in, in Next Generation is so much better. So you're getting two different, you know, Picard versus Kirk. There's no question that Kirk, from a captain viewpoint, is better. Is Shatner a better actor no, I don't think he is. Not not but, even close. But I think the character is is better. Does that make sense? And I think the actor, you know, can enhance a character or can, you know, make the character worse. I but I'm a purist. You see, I grew up with the Kirk and maybe that's why, you know, I didn't watch, you know, Next Generation as much as and I certainly didn't watch any of the other ones, Deep Space Nine, and I didn't watch any of those. I I attempted yeah. to. I even attempted to watch Enterprise. I'm looking forward to the new. We're getting a new Star Trek series next year. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it, what era they're going with. I assume they're going older and not newer. I guess we'll see. But I guess what happens in the movies sometimes is, you know, my favorite Star Trek movie is four. Because I like them when they're people and they're here on Earth and they're interacting with regular people. I think that was and, – and you see their characters better I, rather than, again, you don't have the big universe behind them. They're in well, San Francisco. I wouldn't. That's kind of a small part of the universe, but but you see them interacting with people and doing things, and it's like, wow, this is really kind of a. And, and I realize it had the underlying message of take care of the animals. I understand that, uh, but the underlying thing was their interactions. That's not necessarily with each other. a bad message. No, no, though. not at all. No, uh, but it was their interactions with each other. I think was was a purer kind of uh, communication that went on in those in, in Star Trek Four. Well, I guess we'll, uh, we'll we'll end with my story. We're going to go up two summers from we had the summer of crying in '82. We're going to go to the summer. Uh, we'll go to the summer '84. And Tyler's heard this story before, but uh, since you're here, I want to get this on the cast. And this is kind of in the spirit of not necessarily ruining movies, but I walked in with Dad. I can't remember Heather and Mom and Melinda were at another film, but Dad took me to see what still today is one of my favorite movies ever, The Karate Kid. And it might sound cheesy, and I know Wax On, Wax Off has been made fun of to death, but that movie really resonated with me as a kid. Anyway, we're sitting there watching the movie. We're in the final tournament, the final battle against Johnny, and I'm sitting there like, I'm so into it. I'm ready you know, for this to happen. And right before the final point, Dad leans over to me and says, crane technique. And the first thought in my head was, how in the hell did he know that? And now when I watch a movie, it sounds so stupid because, of course, the montage on the beach and Daniel in the shadow. And, of course, that's going to come back and win him the final tournament. But I had no idea at the time. And I was like, is my dad just the smartest guy ever? How did he know that that was going to happen? I I look very closely at the movie poster. (laughs) And and it's right there. I I had no idea that that was about to happen. Still one of my favorite scenes in movies, in fact, I think the Karate Kid has two or three of my favorite scenes ever. Uh, the best one being when Daniel is whining and moaning like a little, you know, like a little girl about. Oh, I think his exact line is uh, something about being your GD slave. Like I'm not going to be your slave, and throws his stuff down. And Miyagi sits him down, <laughs> makes him go through the motions of everything he's learned, throws a flurry of kicks and punches at him. Daniel blocks all of them. And he looks him in the eye and he says, come back tomorrow. Start early. Exactly. And the message there is you, you know, and, and, and if nobody walked away with this message, and hopefully when, if young people watch it, you know, on TV and everything, they walk away with the message that says, things aren't always as they seem. There's always an underlying message. There's always an underlying story. There's always an underlying moral that goes to things. Don't quit too soon. And I think that's important for, for people to even understand today. And, and the, the messages in The Karate Kid are incredible. I mean, the, the, the storyline, Pat Morita, you know, just the whole idea of, the, of what went on there. Uh, you know, a kid displaced from his home out in the middle of nowhere, didn't know anybody, getting beat up at school. You know, the, the bully, you know, 
phenomenon. Again, and that's, that applies today. I think kids go through, and you know, you being a military kid know that. I mean, you walked into a number of different schools all the time. I related to Daniel moving across the country with his mom very much. I related to getting picked on in school and being in a new school very much. I definitely related with being in love with the blonde cheerleader. That has been a trope my entire life and still is today. No, I related a lot with that character. Um, and, you know, you were kind of my mentor, my Miyagi. After we left there, you enrolled me in karate classes within two weeks. You were like, well, if you really like this, then let's go do this. And it was a lot of fun. So I guess I'll close by saying thank you for taking me to so many awesome movies, dude. Seriously. Thanks for going with me. I didn't want to go alone, so I appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to close out here. Uh, I hope we can make this uh, a yearly thing because I know I certainly enjoy having you here, and I know Tyler definitely enjoys Absolutely. having you here as well. And when we covered video games, we covered movies uh, this year, you can pick the topic next year. We'll talk about whatever you want. Given that, then I won't raise my fee any for coming out here if I get to pick the topic. So I raise your fee. All you've done is buy me lunch and dinner since, since you've been here. So I don't know what kind of what kind of fee we're looking at, but we can discuss that later. Um, anyway, I'm not quite sure in the pantheon of things when this episode will go up, but we do have an episode coming up this week with uh, Kill the Music, also Denver Comic Con, two weeks uh, around the corner. Uh, as you guys know. From the episode you listened to previous to this, we have been challenged by NerdCube to a geek trivia contest, and Tyler and I are any uh, we're planning on bringing our A game. I would I would say anyway across the table from me, very proud and happy to have him here, Dr. Greg Hollis, my dad to my right, as always, run TRG Tyler Glaze. I am Eric G Hollis, and we are out.